Welcome, Welcome to, to Hearts, Hearts and Other Sex Parts, a podcast about redefining yourself and your relationships. We're your queer hosts. I'm Keely C. Helmick, licensed professional counselor. And I'm Jay, a resident queermo and sex ambassador. This podcast is a safer space for the LGBTQI community, people of color, all genders and gender nonconforming individuals, differently abled people, and individuals who practice non-traditional relationships. Yeah, we know that's a mouthful, but we're going to keep repeating it every time <laughs> so that you know. Because it's very important. And these discussion, discussions will be strictly body and sex positive. Our pronouns are she, her. For every guest we have on the show, we invite them to share their pronouns as well, should they choose to. In this episode, we interviewed Emily McLean, the new executive director for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon, and Laura Swordlow, who's the advocacy director of Planned Parenthoods of Oregon. Uh, before we jump into the interview, Keely and I wanted to talk about how important Planned Parenthood has been to us uh, personally and why we chose to seek out this interview. For sure. You know, because like I grew up in a household where bodies were not even spoken about. Menstruation, sex, hell no. My mom would not even say the word vagina. In fact, when I was doing the play vagina monologues, I would run around the house trying to get her to say the word and she would not say it. So when I was in college and right after college, Planned Parenthood was really the only place I received medical ser services because I didn't have insurance and I had very little money and their services is what actually allowed me to understand sexual health and to have access to birth control. So good. Yeah. Um, well, I was a patient of Planned Parenthood starting around age 16. Basically, I was living with my dad, who's a construction worker, and he came up to me one day and said, I was about to be 16, and he said that his friends are making their daughters get on birth control when they turn 16, so <laughs> I was going to be on birth control. Uh, so I used Planned Parenthood for annual checkups. Uh, pap smears, STD testing, birth con and birth control uh, from 16 until I was, I think, 23 or 24. Um, what's that? So it's like a good eight years of my life. This organization helped me keep me healthy, STD-free, baby-free. I went to college, did all these things. No, no babies. No STDs. Yay. That too. Um, not just that, but actually just a couple of years ago before I moved to Oregon, I was in between jobs, between moving from Wisconsin to Oregon. And I had, uh, I wanted to get tested and I didn't have a job or a proof of income at the time. And so I went to Planned Parenthood and was able to get signed up and get basically free testing. Um, I don't think I paid anything for that. And that was when I was just 28. So I'm a big fucking fan of Planned Parenthood is the moral of this story. Yes. Uh, with no further ado... Uh, take a listen to our interview with Emily and Laurel. Uh, this was pre-recorded at the Planned Parenthood location on MLK in Portland, Oregon on July 26th, 2018. So just a few weeks ago. Enjoy. Today we are interviewing Emily McLean, the new executive director for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon, and Laurel Swordlow, the advocacy director. Yeah, thank you for thank being you here. Thank you for being here. Thanks thank for having us. Thank you for us. having us. Prior to working with Planned Parenthood, Emily served as political director for Basic Rights Oregon, a local LGBTQ equal rights organization, helping to secure marriage equality in Oregon. As executive director of the Oregon Student Association, she led the largest nonpartisan voter registration drive in state history, registering 50,000 voters in 2012. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Emily also serves as a board member for Emerge Oregon, 
which trains Democratic women to run for elected office. She also lobbied for Oregon Education Association and the Oregon Bus Project uh, and many other progressive associations. Laurel began her Planned Parenthood career as a medical assistant. She went on to get her master's in public health from Columbia University. She has worked in coalition to pass and monitor sexual and reproductive health policies in California, New York, Washington, and Oregon. You two are busy. <laughs> Super busy. Uh, so Planned Parenthood gets portrayed in the media as mainly a place for abortions. However, we know that's not the case. Uh, what are the many services, the many other services that Planned Parenthood provides? Yeah. I mean, Planned Parenthoods are a place for folks to access healthcare across our state in so many different ways. Folks get cancer screenings. They get consultations on what kind of contraceptives or birth control they're going to use. Uh, they visit the doctor for a basic annual like exam, you know, to check in and see how their health is. Um, so we offer broad amounts of services um, that are all about making sure that people have access to quality, non-judgmental health care. Um, it's a lot of things here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes people generally think it's just for women and there are services for cis men as well, correct? Yeah. For cis men, for the LGBTQ community. I mean, we uh, work Planned Parenthood to be welcoming to everyone. So men come here for services. Um, the trans community comes for services. Uh, everybody, everyone's welcome. And we make sure to provide quality care for everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay. So before we dive into the local initiatives and legislation, let's discuss the issues happening at the federal level. Uh, we know that back during Trump's run for president, he stated that he would undoubtedly appoint uh, people into the Supreme Court who support his desire to overturn Roe versus Wade. I think the quote that he said was, I am putting pro-life justices on the court, yeah. uh, which then puts the decision at the state level, which is... Um, as we'll discuss later, the, the run for governor becomes really important uh, here in Oregon, well, every state. Uh, so the majority of women in this country, like me and Keeley, and I think all of us in this room potentially, were born after Roe versus Wade was decided about 40 years ago. Yes. Uh, so many of, <laughs> So yes. we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. yeah I mean, many yeah. of us, uh, the we legal... We don't know anything other. Yeah. yeah. We didn't realize that it wasn't a thing. Uh, the right to control our bodies and make decisions about whether and when to become a parent is something we've just always known our entire life. Uh, will you first tell our listeners what Roe versus Wade law did for U.S. citizens and um, why this law is so important? That's an excellent question. In 1973, uh, the Supreme Court ruled in Roe versus Wade that uh, access to abortion is uh, a right that uh, we have here in this country. Mm -hmm. um, since 1973, women have been able to access, well, women have had the right to access abortion. Um, it's important to note that Roe versus Wade did not guarantee actual access. It simply guaranteed the right to abortion. The difference there is that um, the Supreme Court ruled that um, people should, uh, should be allowed to have abortions. They didn't uh, necessarily rule on um, you know, the ways, the, the many barriers that, that people do continue to face exactly. in accessing that right, if that yeah. makes sense. Because that is a big difference. I mean, just because something is not illegal anymore doesn't mean you can afford it. Mm -hmm. 
It's a really important point. Yeah. Or that there's resources to access it. Exactly. I mean, the way that that's oftentimes framed as a right without access isn't necessarily a right at all. Well, and that's, that goes into, you know, aside from the Roe versus Wade piece of it, you know, talking about access is this, can you summarize the main things that the Trump Pence gag rule is proposing? Yeah. And how would it affect Planned Parenthood? Yeah. Well, I think one important thing to know is that of those 4 million people that you were just referring to that are served by Title 10, 41% of those are served by Planned Parenthoods across the country. So um, Planned Parenthood provides a lot of access for folks who are low income and who are supported by this really critical program. Um, And I think the main thing that folks need to understand is that it's, it's a dangerous rule. The rule that they're putting forward is super dangerous um, because it makes it illegal for doctors and nurses, um, hospitals, community health centers, um, and any other provider in the Title X program um, to explain to patients how they can access safe and legal abortion. So they can't even tell them where to go. No, it's literally a gag rule. That's the thing that's so scary and dangerous about this is that if you are a provider that is Uh going to lay out all the options that a patient has, um, you're gagged by this rule. You're asked that if you're going to get Title X funds, if, if this rule were to pass, and right now it still hasn't passed, people are making comment on it, yeah, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear from your doctor all your options. So that, yeah, so that's the important piece, that, that piece is that if you want to get that funding, then you can't talk about this. So you, ha- you don't have access to this, these resources and don't even understand what your options are. Does that include birth control and preventative care as well? Yeah, I mean, it's important to note that Title X funds don't fund abortion. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, They fund preventive reproductive health care, birth control, testing. um, And what this role would do would say in order to be able to uh, qualify for those funds, you would would not be you would be gagged as Emily said uh, from referring patients for abortion services and so that's why we call it that because limiting what somebody can tell their patient limiting what a medical professional can tell their patient about their options is the definition of a gag rule yep yeah so basically telling um, people to shut up and not talk about things and not talk about, not talk yeah. about healthcare. Yeah. Because abortion exactly. is healthcare. Mm-hmm. Amen. Abortion is healthcare. And that's that's what we're so worried about is that people would be having an interaction and not hearing about all their basic health needs, all their basic options. Yeah, I mean I can't even I'm like I'm trying to think about like if I had a question for my doctor and they literally were just like, Up, oh, can't tell you. Well, and the, <laughs> or like yeah. the sad pretend thing is, they don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> the sad thing is that is the case or similar situations like that happen in other states with regards to abortion. Abortion is continually, for whatever reason, um, you know, a healthcare service that legislatures think that they can legislate, um, even though, as you know, we've said, it's point blank healthcare. Um, and so there are places throughout the country where, um, doctors, um, you know, are required to read scripts, um, that, you know, literally words are put into their mouths, um, regarded by the legislature, written by, you know, people who run for office instead of people who are just sharing the information that know, you know, what the options are. Like it just, ugh. Well, I have a hard time just like, like, 
even like talking, I get so fired up like yeah. thinking about this because really at the end of the day to me, I feel like this is like government saying like, shut up and go back to the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. Like yeah. you don't, you don't get, I mean, there's so many statistics about like women who, you know, having opportunities and unplanned pregnancies and the ability to have the choice and just to have that those opportunities and choices taken away Yeah, because- yeah. And that, I mean, we, yeah, the advent of access to birth control and the change that it meant for the presence of women in education and, you know, pursuing degrees, pursuing careers, like we've seen it and it is, it's crazy because we were all born after Roe, but if you think about it, it's a really short history, like mm-hmm. that women have had the access to, uh, basic choices, like whether and when to become a parent. And that changed the presence of us in all the different institutions that we all interact with. What do you think our society would look like if the rule goes through? What would happen? Like what effect would it have on Planned Parenthood? And what do you think in the next couple of years that would look like our reality? I mean, I think one thing that's really important about the reality of the impact um, in Oregon and on Planned Parenthood um, is that if we were excluded from Title X and all other types of the Title X funded sites in Oregon, um, that we would have to increase the contraceptive like client caseloads um, by about 69% is what we're thinking um, to serve the women who currently obtain contraceptive care from Planned Parenthood health centers. So there would be an immediate effect, but I think the more immediate effect is just what is the actual experience of somebody going to the doctor and trying to figure out you know, what they want to do for themselves. And that should be an interaction between you and your doctor. Um, and it would, it would change that dynamic. Like you were talking about just what is it like when you're talking to a doctor that has their hands tied, uh, by laws put in place by this administration. And going back to, um, Roe versus Wade, if that is overturned, what will our society look like and what effect would that have on Planned Parenthood? I mean, it's scary. Like the concept of, I mean, would put, I mean, immediately if that overturned, there's like what, I think 20 States that would probably immediately ban abortion. That's what they've started to say. I've heard different numbers like 17, <laughs> 18, 20 that are on the precipice, which is terrifying. Which would mean we'd go back to having to go across the, to across state lines to find abortion or to find healthcare and preventative care, all of these things that Planned Parenthood provides. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the first immediate situation is that it does put the power, if Roe were were to be overturned, um, into Congress um, and also into the states. So at that point, you know, the the law has changed, but it does proactively have to be addressed in the state and in Congress. So it opens the door um, for Congress to do more. And like Laurel alluded to, there are already places that make you look at an ultrasound before um, accessing an abortion or that make a doctor read a script to you before Mm -hmm. making that decision. Um, And so, first of all, there would be some states that immediately overturn it and get rid of access to legal um, and safe abortion, and people would have to start traveling really far. Like, folks might come to Oregon. Folks might um, go to other states that haven't overturned it yet. Um, But it it becomes a scary place where you're wondering, do you have time to take off work to travel to a different state? Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, which is already happening in places like Texas. I was Mm -hmm. just going to say, Emily, whenever I get asked the question, what would happen or what would it look like? I, the first thing I always say is we don't need a counterfactual. We have 
Texas. We have, there there are other states um, throughout the country, but Texas is really, I think, just the quintessential example of what happens when there's not access to abortion. Um, You have people traveling hundreds of miles, um, having to take days off work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really in, 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 in my, like, I, I kind of get just so fired up that I struggle to even find words to talk about it because, yeah. um, it, the, the impact is just so real. Um, but what I really do have to also reiterate what Emily said is that's the reason that it's becoming more and more important for us to be focusing on um, state level. Yeah. And uh, luckily yeah. we have Kate Brown. And luckily, yes. yeah. <laughs> so let's, yeah, let's shift the conversation and talk about what's happening locally here in Oregon. We have Kate Brown running as the Democratic candidate for governor and Newt Bueller uh, running for the Republican Party. Can we just like stop and list off the ways that Newt is an asshat? Mm-hmm. Okay. I just wanted to use that term really badly. <laughs> we get to say that. Newt, Newt is a nut. Okay, so OPB reported that Newt Bueller doesn't believe low-income Oregon women should have access to safe legal abortion. He said he opposed state funding except in cases where it's medically necessary. He also voted against the HOPE Amendment, a referral that would have made cost-effective and affordable health care a fundamental right in Oregon. He also opposed Measure 101, which protects state funding for Medicaid health care. So also note that more than 50% of Planned Parenthood's patients rely on Medicaid for critical preventative health care services, if I have that statistic correct. Um, he also voted against the Reproductive Health Equity Act, which safeguards no-cost contraception and the right to safe legal abortion. I mean, he went on to brag about his vote against abortion access in this December radio interview. He's just yeah, on we conservative are not talk new- radio. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Kate Brown, on the other hand... Uh, has passed two landmark legislations here in Oregon, um, which you helped her with, correct? Mm-hmm. Would you talk about those briefly yes, and why we love us. Kate Brown? So we totally love Kate Brown. I think one <laughs> really dreamy fact about the governor um, is that one of her first jobs in the late 80s was as the advocate and lobbyist for the Women's Rights Coalition. Um, yeah. Like she was just at the forefront in every way. I just got goosebumps. I write <laughs> yeah. me too. Um, and I, in every single way, it's just dreamy. Like she has been an, a true advocate and, um, I know this is so cliche, but such a, you know, um, trailblazer in a lot of ways at the forefront of making sure that there were women's voices and actual progressive voices in that capital where they're just absent. So she's been at the forefront for her entire career. Um, and that's why we, our organization, Planned Parenthood Pack of Oregon and endorsed her. Um, but the bills that we worked on most, most recently with her, um, I'll talk about a couple and then Laurel can talk about the reproductive health act. But, um, when I was a lobbyist for Planned Parenthood, uh, we worked to pass access to 12 months, uh, access to birth control, um, where there was not a requirement to allow for the disbursement of 12 months of, of contraceptives for ones that are dispersed that way. Um, which meant that people had to go to the pharmacy, you know, multiple times in the middle of their business 
busy lives. Um, and she was a champion that signed that bill and also helped us pass that bill um, to make sure that folks could have more direct access um, and easier access and be trusted, you know, to take their birth control home, uh, which to be honest was crazy when we were hearing testimony, women were not trusted. There were actual questions about, well, can they store their birth control correctly? Or what if they lose it and we've dispersed more? Wait, who was, who was asking these questions? Legislators. Legislators. Uh-huh. Um, can we talk about, were they men? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about how all these things, we're talking about th- this is all men other than Kate Brown. Yes. yes. I mean, so there's not all men on the particular committees, no, but asking no. those but that's questions. that's who was asking. It yeah. was. Predominantly. It was, it was, yeah. There might, you're right. There might've been maybe one or two. Yeah. <laughs> one. Um, but it's just, it, it, it stressed me out a lot. It was not cool. Um, it was just really disheartening. Um, you know, even in Oregon. So, uh, we pushed back on that. You know, we talked about the fact that women should be trusted. Um, folks who are taking birth control should be trusted. Um, and we're proud we passed that bill, but it is kind of shocking that it was a fight. Um, but she was proud to sign it. Um, we also passed a patient privacy bill that made sure that that thing called the explanation of benefits that you get after you go to the doctor, um, can, you can send it to different places. It doesn't necessarily just have to go to the holder of the insurance. Um, so you might think about, for example, um, domestic violence or, um, really tough partner situations where someone wants to go to the doctor and have that be in private, um, that, individuals should have a a choice of where that explanation of benefits go and that patient privacy is super important for everyone's safety. Um, and just for your own, your own privacy. And then Emily also referenced the reproductive health equity act. I think that's definitely the bill that, um, at least right now we're really most proud of. Oh, I think maybe always we're most proud. Like I think that that I think it's hundred percent. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So this is a bill that Governor Brown signed in 2017. It establishes uh, coverage for the full spectrum of reproductive health care, including family planning, um, abortion, and postpartum care for all Oregonians, regardless of income, citizenship, status, gender identity, or type of insurance. Right. It was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and Kate Brown signed that bill into law in August of 2017, and Newt Bueller voted no. And so just speaking to the difference between the two candidates on this issue, I think, at least for myself, that's one of the most illustrative cases. Um, But I mean, you know, just to to highlight a little bit more about the Reproductive Health Equity Act, this was a bill um, that we had worked on in coalition for several years. Emily worked on it as well um, when she was our lobbyist back in the day. Uh, and, um, you know, Oregon's the first state to pass a bill like this that uh, covers everyone regardless of citizenship status and mm-hmm. further includes uh, a clause to guarantee access to folks regardless of their gender identity. Um, so that piece was really critical, um, because there were, um, you know, patients that were being denied access to literally being denied access to pap smears because their gender marker wasn't enough. And, you know, like, it's such a ridiculous thing to even think about that, like, you would need to pass a law um, to make sure that people could access pap smears. Um, But but we did, and we did. So wait, are you, so wait, let me, so you were saying, like, are we talking about, so, like, 
if you had a vagina, but you didn't have, when you say gender marker, meaning, so if you have a vagina, but if you didn't mark female, then you wouldn't get that insurance companies were denying the claims. The insurance companies were denying it. Okay. And so this was a big, this was also part of that bill. Okay. I just yeah. want to clarify because I don't know if folks realize that. Yeah. Like this bill, big, I mean, like that piece of it. Yeah. This bill, it, it was, it was kind of, it, it, it was so um, comprehensive that yeah. it can be challenging yeah. to talk about uh, yeah. because there are so many components. I mean, we codified the we got into law the ACA requirements that insurance companies cover um, reproductive health care at no cost to the consumer. We additionally added vasectomy and abortion onto the list of services that need to be covered at no cost to the consumer. We further expanded contraceptive benefits that private insurance companies cover. We created a program to provide family planning, abortion, and postpartum care to undocumented folks. Um, we got this non-discrimination clause that was geared at making sure that trans folks and gender queer folks can access the care that they need. And then actually the last thing that we we were able to include when, because keep in mind, we were thinking about this bill when we were going to have a President Clinton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yep. we were, yeah. we were, this bill was really intended just to be pushing the envelope and to be making sure that we were expanding access. Um, but after the 2016 elections, we realized we needed to make sure we were like covering every base, right. like all of the bases needed to be triple covered quadruple covered. Um, so we additionally made sure that we were um, putting in state law the right to abortion in Oregon. Yeah. Thank you for that. For sure. And then, I mean, you just, you slipped in there too. Also vasectomies. Yeah. Yeah. Because men have a role in reproductive health too. Yes. And I don't, and I always, people don't realize that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think on your question, Jay, it's super important to note, Newt Bueller voted no on that bill. Um, we, I know we said it before, I have to say it again, because that is a critical piece of access for Oregonians when it comes to reproductive health care. And he voted no, um, he voted no against that patient privacy bill we talked about too. This is why voting at the state level is so important. So if you only vote every four years, think about voting at the state level, especially here in Oregon and whatever state you're in. If you're listening to this podcast and agree with us. (laughs) Yes. So, at, you know, speaking of, you know, state and legislation, you are also coming into the executive director position while this initiative petition, um, initiative petition one is happening here in Oregon. What is going on there? Uh, it's, EP1. Uh, yeah, a lot of things are going on. It's really unfortunate. Um, a group of Oregonians who are incredibly out of step with our values, uh, submitted signatures on July 6th to qualify a ballot measure that would ban the use of public funds on abortion. And that means a lot of things. Um, public funds are put into the Oregon health plan, Oregon's Medicaid program for low income folks. Um, it also means the healthcare plans that are paid for, for our public employees and public service, um, workers across the state. So teachers, nurses, um, the public employees who make our state tick, their health plans would be impacted by this too. Um, They turned in signatures to try and qualify this measure um, and put it on the ballot on November 6th. Um, And as of today, um, we're still waiting to hear for certain if it's qualified, Um, but it's very likely to qualify. And so we're preparing um, a campaign, a big campaign, um, because 
it's a it's a really terrible measure that would would really take away health care from Oregonians. Yeah. Yeah, that's awful. And we've already seen such a shift happen with health care with the Oregon Health Plan that's been really detrimental to a lot of folks. And so this would just even cause more issues. Yeah. I mean, so almost, I mean, we're still counting the numbers and trying to make sure that we know how far reaching and terrible this ballot measure is, but almost 300,000 Oregonians would be impacted by this measure, um, and have their healthcare cut, have their access cut. Um, and the, I think that one of the worst things about this measure in particular is that it literally cherry picks one medical procedure and decides whether or not insurance will cover it or not. Yeah. Since when did we start, you know, making healthcare policy and your access to healthcare that way at the ballot about abortion, the one thing that gets signaled out. All of this said, you know, if, if we take away our, the right to a safe legal abortion, I mean, there are already thousands and thousands of deaths annually still even though it's legal, there are still thousands and thousands of deaths annually from unsafe, illegal abortions. So if we take away this right, how would those numbers be affected, you know? Yeah, that's what's so scary is that how on earth can we be talking about a time where people have to take into their own hands and their own experience, you know, um, something that should be safe and legal? Yeah, and and I also would just have to say, like the the fear involved in you know facing um an unintended pregnancy without easy access to abortion is just so substantial um i mean we're seeing in places like texas that there's a huge spike um to uh self in self abortion um and uh, there are medications uh, that folks can have access to and in fact there's medication that's used in other countries that don't have the types of um you know the, the types of healthcare that we have in the United States um and so you know with proper use and guidance of, you know, medication, self-abortion actually can be an option for folks. Um, And so, but what is so terrifying to me is, you know, that you need to be able to have the support systems in place, medical professionals in place. um, And that is, you know, states that don't have Not to mention people, like the, you know, a support system of people around you. If you have to travel miles and miles and you can only, some people may not be able to even bring someone. And it's a like, it's a very, you know, experience that you should have a support system around you and making people have to travel is just... Yeah. The amount of stories that I've heard of folks who've had to travel just because they haven't had a provider nearby and yeah, having to take time off work, not being able to have, you know, your partner or a friend or a family member with you. I mean, the fact that that already happens when there's access, think about what it would be like if we decreased access to the point that we're looking at in this world of, you know, this administration and, and the possibility of a Kavanaugh appointment to the Supreme court. Mm Mm-hmm. And all the shame that's around it and, and like, you know, the lack, you know, when, if it was to become illegal, the lack of support and the shame and all of, you know, I think, you know, as a therapist, I think of all the mental health, you know, already it's so hard to do. And then if it's for obvious health reasons, but also the mental health piece and that support, like Jay was talking about, there's so many pieces to it. Well, and I, there's so many pieces to it. And I think right now in this climate, with the fear of the Supreme Court, it's really easy to be jumping to like, what if there's not the right? 
Um, what if all of a sudden Roe v. Wade is overturned, right? Mm -hmm. That's really terrifying. But I think that what is, what is equally terrifying to me is realizing that we might live in a state and that there are states that currently have that right, but don't have that meaningful access. And that, and and that, and Mm -hmm. like that, the, like, you know, what you're talking about, about not having support, that is the reality Mm -hmm. right now in states that don't have funding, that have these barriers that have, that you have to travel, you know, thousands of miles or, you know, hundreds of miles, excuse me. Um, And, you know, so here in Oregon, like, we are lucky that we right. currently have, you know, Thank treated, you for pointing that out. Yeah, that we currently that- have treated abortion on par with the full spectrum of reproductive health services for, you know, decades now. Um, but to me, it's equally terrifying that we are, you know, considering potentially, you know, taking away that access and that support in, in this ballot measure. I don't, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it becomes an access issue. Exactly. Yeah. So that's even more than you can still have, oh yeah, it's still legal. Yeah. But then if no one can access it or very few folks can access it, yeah. then it's still not, it's, it's still point. not there. Yep. So we wanted, so switching from policy, but another, um, thing that Planned Parenthood offers is, um, you know, Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest provider of sex education. Largest provider. Yeah. Which is why we need Planned Parenthood to stay in place. (laughs) Which is again, another funding thing. And so what are the different education programs that Planned Parenthood offers? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon is the statewide political voice for to uh, healthcare and education providers in the state, Planned Parenthood Columbia Willamette and Planned Parenthood Southwestern Oregon. And um, both of those entities have education programs that include educators that, uh, you know, literally go into communities uh, and train sex educators and provide sex education themselves. Um, so these are fantastic folks. Comprehensive. Yes. So, so the, yes, yes <laughs> comprehensive sex education. So, um, they provide, you know, uh, sex education that is, um, in compliance with Oregon sex education statute. Um, so Oregon actually has uh, one of the most progressive sex, ed- sex education laws in the country requiring age appropriate, medically accurate, comprehensive sex education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know, woo. Yeah. <laughs> As um, it should be. Yes. Whenever whenever I talk about Oregon's sexual and reproductive health laws, like I feel like I'm I'm always bragging, you know? <laughs> um yeah. like, you know, don't want to brag, but we have the Reproductive Health Equity Act. Don't want to brag, you're the best. Uh, Even sex though education. it should also be the standard. Yeah. You know? Totally. <laughs> um uh so um yeah. So th- these are, these are folks that are in schools. They're, you know, they collaborate with um uh, other educators to make sure that young people are able to make healthy decisions about their bodies. Yeah. So, so some of this curriculum, it gets used in schools as well. Yeah. There's yeah. partnerships with local schools across uh-huh. the state or like Laurel said, um, there's the training of sex education or uh-huh. educators, you know, to make sure that they have the resources they need, because as you all probably know, educators are also incredibly strapped for resources. Yes. Um, yes. and so Planned Parenthood provides this amazing education program um, that reaches out, builds partnerships, and makes plans um, in local communities, um, led by those local communities, you know, talking about what it is that they need and what support they need, and Planned Parenthood provides that service. That's awesome. 
And you mentioned Planned Parenthood's programs specific to LGBTQ and gender varying folks. Uh, as we know, in addition to high rates of stress due to systemic harassment and discrimination, LGBTQ people face lower rates of health insurance coverage, higher rates of HIV and AIDS, higher rates of discrimination, as we talked about from medical providers, not to mention the strain on mental and physical health that all these issues cause. Uh, and because of intersections of racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-transgender bias, LGBTQ people of color are at even greater risk. Uh, do you know, do you know what percentage of patients are, uh, Planned Parenthood patients are within the LGBTQ community? By I don't have the statistic about that. I was curious, but, um, but what services does Planned Parenthood provide, uh, I guess in Oregon, unless you know other states, uh, for people of these communities? Yeah, I'm. Go for it. Well, so I, I know that um, Planned Parenthood Columbia Willamette and Planned Parenthood Southwestern Oregon um, are really focused on making sure that our health centers are incredibly welcoming for everyone. Um, and we're really, really excited that an increasing number of our health centers are specifically offering um, services like uh, hormones to the transgender community and are also just in the service, um, really trying to make sure that all of the um, providers are are really competent to support LGBTQ patients and make sure that it's an inclusive experience, you know, and that everyone is getting support. Um, yeah, equally. Awesome. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the things that Planned Parenthood is doing to make sure to reach the LGBTQ community? Yeah, there are several ways that Planned Parenthood is making sure that we're reaching queer folks. Um, you know, we were speaking just now about education. Um, one, of the main, one, one of the main things that's important there is that our educators are, um, you know, reaching students in the classroom through a trauma-informed lens. What that means is acknowledging that in any given classroom, um, there are there is a very high likelihood that you have um, queer youth, that you have youth that youth of color, that you have youth that have somehow um, sustained uh, trauma. And uh, that when you speak to that student, you are able to reach the entire classroom. And so that is actually what's really important in, in making sure that your sex ed curricula are, you know, really appropriate for LGBTQ youth. In our health centers, we make sure that um, we are providing, um, you know, support and services to the queer community. Um, for the trans community, we have health centers in in the state that are offering um, hormone replacement therapy, as Emily said, um, that are offering, um, you know, just assistance in transitioning. Uh, we additionally have health centers in the state that are offering prep. Um, so, uh, in other words, that that are offering um, services uh, to make sure that folks are protecting themselves and their partners um, when it comes to HIV mm -hmm. um, exposure. Um, so, you know, we really try to make sure, you know, health centers throughout the state are trying to make sure that we're um, meeting queer folks, um, meeting their needs and making sure that we're empowering them with the information and healthcare they need. Awesome. Yeah, I think that the statistic I found was Planned Parenthood Health Centers provide more than 650,000 HIV tests a year. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. so many people. It is. And you asked us at the beginning about, you know, services that we provide and how sometimes folks think it's one thing. 
but it's not. It's a place where folks come to go to the doctor to get the health care that they need. And that means an HIV test. That means a breast exam. That means a cervical screening. You know, that means figuring out what kind of um, contraceptive is right for you or getting a vasectomy for that matter. It's a lot of things. And, and sometimes it's abortion. Yep. And that's, I think that's like one thing that I always like to highlight is yeah. like, it's a lot of things. So what are your biggest hopes for Planned Parenthood of Oregon? You're a new executive director. You have a lot to tackle, but you're still hopeful. I'm still hopeful. Okay. Yeah. I'm still hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful because we might not have the current power structure on our side. I know that, but there are literally hundreds of thousands. And I know millions of Oregonians that are with us. Um, and I know that there's Americans more than a majority, like 70% that don't want to see Roe v. Wade overturned, um, that don't want to, um, you know, vote for leaders that are going to take us down the path that this current administration has taken us down. Um, and so I guess, my biggest hope for this year is on that state level because that's where I know we can have such a big impact. And my, my hope, um, and, uh, you know, goal is that Oregonians come out in droves that we have hundreds and maybe even a thousand people at, you know, a day where we're going to go talk to other people, knock on doors, make phone calls, tell people about what this terrible ballot measure is, um, and tell them about all the things that we believe in and that we know we share values on. So my hope is, is that we really keep the, the resistance that's happening happening. Um, and that all those folks that are, you know, feeling upset, feeling agitated, come out and get involved, um, and, and help us fight back some of this stuff and help us make the world that we know should be and that will be. Um, yeah. Yeah. My hope is that the people who sat on their ass and didn't vote (laughs) Trump get out and vote, get out and vote at least at the state, the state level. Yeah, they have to. You That's your saving to, grace. Please. We will forgive yes. you if you didn't vote. <laughs> so long do it as you vote this year. Won't <laughs> at hold the state level. This year. <laughs> yeah. Go Cape Brown. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. both thank of you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your time and all that you do. And thank you so you much. Yeah. Thank so you gr- so much so for much your gratitude. support and for yeah. caring. Thank you for being women who are speaking about politics and sex um, because I think that's just so important and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Thanks for what you do. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. That was such an empowering episode to record. I hope you all enjoyed that. We'd like to end with some quotes by some famous women on why they support Planned Parenthood. Yes, because if you aren't convinced by now that Planned Parenthood is amazing, this is our last ditch effort to convince you because all of these cool people agree with us. So, Keely, would you start? Aisha Tyler. I stand with Planned Parenthood because every woman deserves to be the architect of her own destiny. Uh, Kristen Bell. I stand with Planned Parenthood because I want my girls to have access to birth control behind my back one day. (laughs) America Farrar. I think that women's health is an issue that is close to me because of my community. We're only as strong as the ability we have to take care of the women who are giving birth and nurturing the next generation. Mm. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, Planned Parenthood was my healthcare provider when I didn't have insurance after graduating from college. Yes, I got birth control, but it was for my massive migraine headaches and my heavy flow. Yes, I'm on record saying I have a heavy flow. As lots of us do. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson, 
Planned Parenthood's ability to provide preventative health care to women is critical to all and should not be tampered with politically. I urge everyone who is invested in protecting this initiative to go to IStandWithPlannedParenthood.org and sign their petition. Sign it. Yeah. Uh, that's a wrap for today, folks. Remember to follow our podcast, Hearts and Other Sex Parts, on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're also on Instagram and Facebook as Hearts and Other Sex Parts. Also, please support our podcast expenses and educational resources by going to GoFundMe.com and find our Hearts and Other Sex Parts donation page, which is also linked in our Facebook bio. And uh, yeah, send us money so we can keep this thing going. Please feel free to write us feedback or questions by direct messaging our Instagram or Facebook pages or emailing us at heartsandothersexparts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Your hosts encourage you to stay open and remember, self-love is the best love. love.